Hello, everybody. Turn this up in our headphones, Charles. Ooh. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends. Yes, we use the plural friends yet again because with us today we are proud to announce that we have Sam from the Book in Hand blog here with us today. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. We're super happy to have you on. Uh, You guys, I'm really happy to be on. So hello to everyone listening and yeah, it's going to be fun to be yeah talking fantasy with friends. (laughs) Well said. We are talking Shadow of the Gods today by John Gwynn. This has been been so much buzz around this release about this book. John Gwynn has been recommended to us many times. And then there's also the excitement of like meeting Sam face to face here through the screen outside of Twitter. So two very exciting energies colliding in this episode. Can't wait to get started. But before we do, Sam, would you do us the honor of introducing yourself to all the listeners and letting us know more about you and the awesome blog and and Twitter shenanigans you have going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. So obviously you can choose me. I am Sam. I've been blogging at the Book in Hand for just over a year. Yeah, well, been a year because I had to renew my payment plan this week. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I focus mainly on fantasy. I read a bit of sci-fi, but always end up stepping back into fantasy because I'm not a huge lover, not lover, but world building's not my biggest jam and sci-fi has a lot of world building in it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah twitter instagram dabble in pinterest but that's more just me taking pictures of like crazy character art and concept art Guys, definitely check out Sam's blog and her Twitter page is awesome. That's where that's where we've gotten to know each other and it's been a lot of fun. (laughs) Yes. Sam is my Twitter idol. I have modeled (laughs) myself in in Sam's Twitter image uh in a lot of ways. So I'm like all the gifts and stuff. If you follow us on Twitter, that was Sam's influence on me and I I have such an awesome time engaging with Sam on Twitter Uh, she and now I'm having an awesome time talking to her on the screen so it's so cool go go follow her go read her reviews they're awesome read a review on the shadow of the gods and it's just uh yeah it's such an honor having you on here Sam Guys, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no one can see it. It'll be okay. Um, So (laughs) let's get into it here. Shadow of the Gods. Uh, To tell all of our listeners, we are going to do a spoiler-free segment in the beginning. Just share our initial thoughts for all of you who are maybe on the fence about reading it. Get some hot takes. And then we will go into, we will announce a spoilers segment where we'll get into themes and characters and 
moments and all of that. But first, we have Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. Dylan, this is a series that has, this is an author, I would say, that has been recommended to us countless times. Both um, Malice and Shadow of the Gods are two books that we get recommended a lot. But this is the first book in his new series. It came out earlier this month. It is an epic Norse-inspired series of blood and vengeance, which is the pitch on the back of the book. (laughs) Yes. And I, you know, it's it's a little scary when you see all the hype for a book by an author that you've never read and you're like, there's this part of you that's like, oh, like, can this live up? to the hype. And I was seeing things like, you know, I read Sam's review on Shadow of the Gods. I feel like Sam and I uh, have yeah. similar Sam was part of, of the hype for we, sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And <laughs> before I'd even read the book, I was like, this is going to be one of my top 10 books. I've not even read it yet. And I'm already aware it's going to be in my top 10. So I started seeing stuff like this uh, all over the place. I've never read anything by John Gwynn. I'm like, what is going on here? And I, of course, ridiculously excited, but just a little bit nervous too about like, can, like, what do I got to think of, of this? Can it live up to the hype? It totally does. It's like when the amazing, is like with that much hype for me to live up to it is unbelievable. And I feel like I just, I'm like really in my, like my feelings about my passion for this, this book and for John Gwynn's work now. And I'm wanting to go back because I'm like, I feel like, John Gwynn's work here represents like where I want fantasy to go and I'm so passionate about this genre and like we talk about for hours and hours every week we talk about the old school stuff like the Lord of the Rings and we talk about the newer stuff like you know we've we're trying to catch up uh, with our read of Joe Abercrombie's work in time for the wisdom of crowds and these like more grimdark things and then uh, I feel like what John Gwynn does is find this unbelievable balance of these like old school mysticism, uh, world building kind of things that people love about the Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, which you don't want to lose from fantasy. That's a key part of it with bringing it into this more modern like morally gray characters and complex stories and everyone thinks they're the hero of their own story in it every character and everyone's just trying to make sense of this dark gritty world and he does it without any uh, like he does it without this any cynicism and stuff like that he's just like trying to tell this amazing story and he in my eyes succeeded so much I'm just in awe really and um, yeah, I'm so happy to get to talk about this. I'll say more about the moments that give me <laughs> on, make me feel that way in the spoiler section, but that's my spoiler free, how I'm feeling about John Gwynn. And uh, Sam, I know you're a gigantic fan of John Gwynn. I'm sure yeah. you have some thoughts on all, all this. Jo- yeah, he's just, like you said, he does everything with such a perfect balance. You've got your characterizations, your like, plot pacing, your world building. Everything goes hand in hand. It's all so well melded. There's no chunkiness or just disjointed feeling to it. It is generally just an absolutely cracking book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she said it. One doesn't represent the term that is cracking. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've got a 
You're gonna have. I to gotta find it. one on YouTube and make it. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we also yeah I mean and also we appreciate uh, uh, Sam coming in from the UK bringing all this new vocabulary into the show as well, which is very exciting. And John Gwynn from the uh, you know from across the pond as well. So this is just like so on brand. It's very exciting. <laughs> you know, it's it's always great when I read a British author because there's there's always bits of it like Britishisms that you notice that you like. Yes, I. I don't see you often enough in books because so many people are American authors and it's just like phrases, bits of slang and you're like, oh, I feel represented. I feel represented right now. So, <laughs> credit to Gwen for being well, just a brother. <laughs> yes. I see that in Abercrombie's work too. He'll just say like horse and I'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I see ass, I'm like, it's not, it, what? It, it's like, it seems a whole different word with a whole different context, whereas arse is just, it's your arse. <laughs> it, just... it is more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really entertaining. And um, like bef- before we get to into the spoiler section, like we're talking about just how the hype lived up. But can we also judge the book by its cover for a second? Because I'm holding up my cover now this is one that i was like very rarely do i own a physical copy of a book anymore but this is one that i just had to put on the bookshelf because it is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous yeah that's one of the things that i first thing you start seeing when you start seeing all these pictures that people are throwing on twitter and stuff like that and it's just like this is a a thing that I'm starting to see now in fantasy are these cover and Google it if you where this audio formats were like check out this cover and no <laughs> one can see it. But I'm holding it up and it is like this sense of scale and awe that totally fits with the tone of the book when you get into it because it, you know giant dragon, tiny person, and it's really how I think this like the story feels is the world is so scary and the world is so brutal. And these people are so outmatched in it. And this is exactly what like the cover is getting across is this roaring dragon and this tiny person, but the tiny person's trying to stick up, like they're yeah. trying to fight. <laughs> and I feel like that's the amazing thing about Gwyn's character and part of what I mean with the like, they're not, it's not cynical. Is like, these people are really trying and it's just such a hard world for them. So I, I love the cover and what it says about the, the book. Yeah, I feel like, the book a book cover is literally your start to your journey as a reader so when it looks as good as what this one is like you said it is a huge dragon like not just a little (laughs) dragon head it is literally massive and yeah there's just some poor guy stood on a rock who's Mm. just not gonna survive (laughs) 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 from john past present there is always some some sad moments (laughs) oh man that's awesome so before we kick it off into the spoiler section it sounds like we all recommend this book with glowing colors but is there a kind of reader where if they described things like what things would they say that they liked that you would go oh then you have to read shadow of the gods right now sam i know you've read a lot of john uh, fantasy fantasy i'm saying if they say they like fantasy no like and that's the thing i i i think is so about John Gwynn's work is that he does, in my opinion, 
very well, at least. There are things that stick out. And if you're like a huge fan of fight scenes and battles and dramatic viewing fights, you this, I think that particularly sticks out in Gwyn's work. No, like you said, if if you was to recommend any any kind of thing, you would just recommend fantasy because he does it perfectly. And action, action that he does incredibly well. He's um, reacting as well. You see the finer details in, in his action sequences where you're just like, no, you've stood in a shield wall. I know how weak your arm must feel. It's all there. And you can, you can see it in every essence of his right. Well said, Sam. Your dog is all excited about John Gwynn's work too, and so we're we're on board. <laughs> <laughs> and now is the time in the show, everybody, where we are going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't read Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn yet, uh, I know, Dylan, you want to get into your warnings here. This is usually your forte. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you haven't yet read The Shadow of the Gods and you don't want this spoiled for you, then we are about to get in the spoiler portion. So now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones. And yeah, and time to pick the book up. Come on. (laughs) Pick it up, give it a shot, and then come back because we're about to get into some hot takes over here, here on the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast with our friend Sam. So guys, we are in it now. We are in the spoiler zone. Uh, Sam, I'd love to get some initial reactions, if you can remember them, back when you had first read this book. Uh, by the time you you closed the the last page here, you closed the cover. Like, what were some of your takeaway reactions to this story? Oh God, just I messaged John Gwynn straight away and was like, "What do I have to do to get the next page of your book?" <laughs> like just a page i was like no the whole book please please give me the book right now (laughs) i will go dance naked in a field (laughs) (laughs) but yeah just uh it's it's one of those books that you read and you just like i couldn't do anything better look well i certainly couldn't do anything better but i couldn't think do you know oh i wish this was done better or do you know that could have been done better in my eyes, which is probably not the over the most critical eyes you'll come across, as you know, <laughs> I'm a John Gwynn fan. It just everything just flows, and you just finish the book, and you're like, "Oh, damn it! Now I am hundred percent gonna have a book hangover from this. Like nothing mm. is gonna. I'm gonna have to reread stuff that I already know I love just to get out of the John Gwynn funk because <laughs> 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 it's that good." That's awesome. And Dylan, I know you, you know, you, we, we both are reading John Gwynn for the first time. We both finished this book very recently. What were some of your takeaways? So I, I can't remember if Sam said this off the air or on the air, but she was talking about how great Gwynn's work is in a way that it, that was on the air. (laughs) That was on the, no, no, this part, this part, which is that it can make you appreciate things that maybe you didn't realize or you said this too potentially maybe off there too i can't remember but the this point sounds is like me appreci- <laughs> yeah both of you were saying how you can appreciate things from gwyn's work that maybe you didn't realize you cared about as a reader until you saw it done the way that john gwyn does it and for me that was both world building and i've said a biz- there's probably hours of me talking like trying to dance around saying like no i care about world building i like it all that kind of stuff on the podcast. I'm always saying that, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of world building for world building's sake. Mm-hmm. I love when an author absolutely 
adores their world and is passionate about it. And I see that so much from John Gwynn. And he never loses sight of the fact that he's telling a story and that the world building is just part of the story he's telling. And he never loses track of that the story is about characters and that the characters live in and are influenced by this world that they're in and shaped by it. And just that, like the synthesis of all of those things has made me be like, oh yes, like all that the stuff I keep saying about like, oh no, like I, I love world building. I just, it's like, I do. I do when it's done in this in this way. And he's like making me realize that. And I also am going to be uh, frank that sometimes in battle scenes in a lot of books, I'll kind of be like, okay, okay, like who wins though? And let's move on. Um, and I, the way that John Gwynn writes battles is so cinematic and evocative that and fights and all this kind of stuff that I feel like I was like, oh yes, no, I actually really like those moments. Like they can give me chills. They can make me really be like invested in the blow by blow and the moments. Uh, And I just, it, it's just when it's done by someone who has that deft hand. I've all sorts of quotes I want to get into uh, (laughs) from the battles where I was like, that's so good. It's like a movie, but yes, that's kind of, my impression is that John Gwynn, he, I liked it so much that it's like changing my understanding of what I what I like in books and fantasy or like like that I, I can like those things a lot. That's yeah. yeah. The, the, the world building and the fights. hundred percent the same on that front. He's just he's created such a different and refined way of world building. One which, like I said, is in case with his own care and love for the genre, the history, like all of that. And it just reads in everything that he does. Like, I think right at the beginning, there's a probably, a, I think it's a depiction of some reindeers about when they're with Brecker. And I'm just like, you've even managed to infuse your, th- your theme of like family protect protection mm. and strong lead in one paragraph about bloody reindeers. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's, it's just done so well. And, but it's all, you, you know, from the from the heart of it, it's a story. He's telling you a story. He's not trying to give you, oh look at all this research I've done and how knowledgeable I am on you know Norse mythology. He's just this is what's relevant to my story. This yes. is gonna be what I want to show you, and it's gonna pack the punch that I need it to. His skill at condensing down what I imagine is a hugely impressive knowledge of this into what we actually need as a reader is amazing like outstanding you so many words don't even describe the skill that goes that like you said he's he's created a almost almost like a new way to world build and it's kind of going I kind of want that in every book now (laughs) like yeah no you're touching on something really great and something that to me was quintessential in my experience of reading this book because I always thought of it as okay there's you can only there's it was like on a spectrum of like how descriptive are you in the settings and like the you know, like the world building and things like that and there's a point where it becomes like too descriptive it's like okay now this this book you're just writing because you wanted to describe a Norse world and show off all the like things you know about Norse battle armor and things like that but like that the, my opinion of that changed in a way because it's like you said so much of it is just built naturally into what they're doing it's almost like the culture of these characters and it gives you 
insight into their story. It's like, yes, we're getting a description of the different materials going into making a shield and like the different rimming around the edges of the shield and their different purposes, but it's built into the culture of this character that's like a fish out of water trying to train to be a mercenary and he's actually making mistakes with his shield and it's causing him to get injured in training and things like that. So it all works together in a way that I find so uh, creative and clever and it's a way to kind of bring more world building into the narrative without feeling like we are you know, putting the story to the side for a moment to get to it. And that, to me, was one of the greatest achievements of this book. And that brings me to something that I wanted to bring up. I, I had read an interview, um, another one of our friends, uh, Beth Tabler from the Before We Go blog, of, of which Dylan is a contributor. Um, mm-hmm. She got to interview John Gwynn recently, and he, they actually got into talking about the research that went into this book. And John Gwynn did admit that he did a ton, a ton of research into like uh, Vikings and North mythology and, and North way of life. And we know that he's like a reenactor and he's like been in a shield wall and things like that. And I just wanted to get a sense, Sam, like at, at what point do, do you think um, doing research, historical research services like a fantasy story and particularly, I guess, in servicing the story of the shadow of the gods? I think it's, for me, it's like the finer details. Like, so I went to York before the whatever three lockdowns we've had now. Mm-hmm. Um, went mm-hmm. through a whole Viking re it, they, in York. They've literally made a Viking settlement with like you know the way the houses were built, the way the women, the men, and like all the stuff they did. And when I was reading, just like the description of you know when um, Orca goes down to the town to report on the fact that people have been you know killed up up yonder (laughs) (laughs) it's stuff like it's just so visual but it's not oh these people were this 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 and this it's just it's what you need to see visually uh, but not too much that your imagination can't fill the rest in Mm. and it just adds to so much of it because you can imagine them walking through the town going about the business and this big duel that happens you you see it flowing naturally it's not just look at this this is what the towns look like it's totally irrelevant mm. to the story but here it is it's like <laughs> don't don't need that and he just knows how to pick like you said the relevant research and actually give it to the reader for a story not for look at my vast knowledge it's right. everything that into it and put into it is purely there for that scene that moment that conversation do you know whatever is happening in that moment and it's just done so well yeah that's so well said sam i i would imagine that there's some sort of urge if you're doing all of this research that like you want to feel like your time isn't wasted so you're like now i know this thing and i spent three hours on it and i want to have that in my story And that's a very natural human urge to want your time to be worth it. And then I think that there's probably a lot of like balance of that where you're like, okay, well, does this help tell the story though? And I feel like that's probably something that the authors who are doing research in these settings are always balancing. And I think 
what it I, you know I don't I don't know John Gwynn besides a few Twitter exchanges where he's been ex- extremely kind uh, <laughs> I <laughs> but I get the sense that he's extremely passionate about learning this for its own sake and I think that that like when you have that passion it makes it so I, I bet there's all sorts of stuff he learned that he just thinks is awesome and is like oh great I'm glad I learned that and then he's using that knowledge and that passion for when he's writing the book and being like, oh, that part that was really cool makes sense here. And if that's what it feels like, rather than like, oh, I have to justify all this time I put into research. It's like, I loved that research and I'm passionate about this stuff. Oh, and that part's cool here. It's like, that's uh, what it reads like to me. A hundred percent. Like, that's probably the perfect description of the way I, I feel like his research comes across. Like he clearly has a love for it already. And it's like I said, he's not trying to force in all the other elements because he's had to learn it. Like he actively enjoys learning it. So he's not like, oh, I've not learned this for any point other than the book. Like, no, he reenacts, you know, he does it with his son. He clearly loves it. So it's not a, it's not a burden or a chore for him. It's just another added benefit to writing such an epic story in such an epic setting (laughs) so no that's that's, i i agree completely i for me one of my common hang-ups when reading fantasy is when i can tell that an author can't kind of reel in their enthusiasm enough for the research that they do for a book or the knowledge that they have about certain aspects of civilization or warfare or things like that. And some people read fantasy specifically for that. So I never knock it for that. But I'm like, oh, that's that kind of fantasy that doesn't pull me in as much. But when you have these moments when a character like uh, Varg walks into the mead hall and is getting served porridge and they're putting honey in it and he's like salivating. It's like, first of all, you get the culture of this band of people and it, it is kind of a found family thing and they're sharing a meal together and there is something in that that's authentic about that moment. And then also Varg being like someone who is basically a slave before this and has never eating that eating that well before. So between those things, it just... It elevates all of these research moments that we're getting and all of these descriptions and these details. And to me, that's what it, it, it caused me to appreciate something that I would normally kind of be like, yeah, it's not for me in fantasy. But I'm like, oh, I actually appreciate it in these applications because I'm actually getting a sense of this community and this culture and this character in, in these moments. Totally agree, Charles. And uh I think that fusion of world building with character and relationship, I, I just love that so much. And there's a there's a quote I really love. I, I just uh, am, I'm so I'm obsessed with the Orca Thorkel relationship. Um, mm, me too. And yeah. right, <laughs> and there's there's this moment where they're talking about raising their son together and they kind of have this like I I love these relationships where it's just people make up for what the other person's like like weaknesses are with their strengths and vice versa and I felt like that that relationship was was so authentic in that way and just heartwarming and they're talking about uh, their kiddo and uh, Orca says you are too soft on him. And Thorkel says, or maybe it is that you are too hard on him. And Orca replies with, it is a hard world and we will not always be here to protect him from it. 
And it's that moment where it's like, yes, because when we are in this world, it is just so dangerous. There's all these moments where just really almost abruptly, but not in a storytelling way, but in a like, that's that's what this world's like. It's just at any moment you can have a freaking serpent or a troll or whatever attack you. And yeah. they're living in this world and trying to raise a child in it. And it's like, you want to be kind to your child and supportive. Like Thorkel is really trying to be a nurturing. And then you want to also be like Orca, who's like, no, like this he could be walking around later and a freaking serpent could attack him. And I want him to be prepared for that. And you're just like, you're both right. And the reason you're both right is because of the like way this world has shaped both of you and, and the way you're trying to relate to each other in it. And it's like, that's, that's the thing. It's all wrapped together. And that's the balance of John Gwynn's work. I think. I think because he's such a family driven man, like you said, I also only know him from his social media interactions, but everything about him screams family, screams close relationships. And literally you can see in his writing, like I remember, I think the moment I opened this book, you obviously see his like, what's the word? Oh, can't think what it's called now. Like your, yeah, no, it's not that. I'm just going to read what the bloody phrase is. And it's for Caroline, my love, my heart, my everything always. Oh. The dedication. The go. dedication, yeah. Got it. <laughs> yes. Um, and literally, you just like, oh my god, there is going to be one fierce ass mama bear in this, and like you can see, <laughs> those five lines, how much he adores, you know, like his wife, like the mother she is, and you can see that in every essence that is Orca. Like it bleeds into mm. everything you read. Like you said, from the balance of her being too hard, him being too soft, and it's like right at the beginning, they've he obviously they're going about killing the reindeer but the wolf like scares mm. it off and he, he the dad Thorko's there going oh yeah but you did really well do you know the wolf was the reason you get it and she's just there going yeah you, you did a good throw kid <laughs> <laughs> but now we're gonna starve <laughs> <laughs> like you see the balance like praising him do you know encouraging him to move forward and she's just like I'll give you the credit where it's due but you know I need you to be hard because as she says it's a world of pain that they are in and she's like, I know what it is. And she even says later on, like how much stronger she feels Thorkel is because he can live in the time that he is now. So being a dad, being a husband, whereas she's still constantly worried that it's all going to go to pot again. And you can see it, like like I said, in her interactions and how much they balance each other. In And it shows credit to yeah, John Gwynn for showing yeah. that theme of family and you know protection so early on so strongly like it's just it's powerful without any other way to describe it really <laughs> i agree orca as a character just stands out to me we have three pov characters in this book everyone knows at this point but orca to me was the one that really uh stood out to me in so many ways because it's such a unique it's such a unique uh dynamic relationship dynamic at the beginning of this book because they are just a family trying to 
exist uh, outside of conflict and crazy monsters and politics and things like that. And they have their cute little home and they're making porridge that like goes and like they're cooking meat and it goes through the smoke hole in the ceiling. And you're like, wow, okay, they really built a nice home for themselves here. They have like their little steading, they call it, and they get the fencing up and the and the wards and all of that and the creatures that help them and and. Uh you get this yeah you get the <laughs> yes. sense that uh that helped them right you get the sense that um that orca is you know having this family life here and it, and it's built up so honestly and and so well and it's these themes of friendship that per, uh, and family mostly that permeate through the whole story and i just loved 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 these these early moments that we get with the family and how like you said they're at odds with each other but you get the sense also that she has some sort of ptsd at the beginning of the story from a violent childhood herself and but it's restrained in what we know about her in these moments and it, and it just speaks so well to this like this idea of parenthood which i think in fantasy novels gets swept under the rug a lot of times like oh parents are Mm. dead so the kid has got to grow up and do his own thing you know so it's interesting to get the flip side of that a little bit yeah she's like you said orca is definitely a standout the book that each each pov in this book is so different like you've got elvar who is literally gasping for battle fame trying to get it at every opportunity she can and if the fight isn't big enough you know she's like mm. well you know we're over too quickly where's my fame in that whereas orca's just there like girl been there done that i have my family now yeah. i have a healthy respect for the world i live in but i am not going to take it for granted and then you've got varg who's kind of a bit of a, a both of them like you know he's he's had a rough mm. life been in the fighting pits he's been a thrall and now he's got his motivation to do the call for his sister and that then drives his whole story and plot. And mm-hmm. they're all so distinct, but carry with themselves a really unique character and perspective and motivations in the whole plot as it is. No, I agree. And I love I love how each character represents this different this different take on on family like you mentioned Elvar. She's, you know, chasing her battle fame and there's so many moments where she's had this debate about, you know, blood versus uh, versus her battle, her comrades, basically. And she's like, yeah, well, blood, you don't get to choose. You're it's uh, you're born into it. It doesn't really mean anything. These are the people I choose. And these are the people that would fight for me and die beside me. And that's like where I find family and, and purpose. And then Varg is like, OK, can I pursue my relentless uh goal to get you know to find out what happened to my sister but can i be happy along the way and and, am i like finding Mm. family now while i'm doing that and it's it's really interesting to see how these different pursuits balance against their air quote family dynamics i I think it's it's really interesting that was literally one of like my favorite bits of varg he's constant you know like whether or not he's allowed to be happy like he's obviously mm. making friends with Torve mm. and all of them and then he's just like no but I can't do you know and he, he puts himself down again to be like no I have my aim I have my mission and it's his whole arc through that is just it's such a great one because it that literally is an element of grief that you will come through if you're trying to do something for a lost one you're like do mm. I deserve 
on top of when they don't, mm. when they haven't got it anymore. And it's such, sometimes it can be quite annoying when you're reading stuff like that because you're like, oh my God, get a grip. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do, you get to a point where you're like, no, like, I get it, you know, as Rocket says in Guardians of the Galaxy, we all got dead people. <laughs> like, <laughs> move on. But he, he does such a good balance in doing that constant battle internally with himself. And that was actually really, really, really fun to read. At least for me, it was just going through it with him. I agree with that. I mean, it's, and you know what stuck out to me right away about uh, Varg as or just like the way that Jungwin wrote Varg was, that he's, I f- felt at first he was being set up to be this like ridiculously competent person who's amazing at everything. And like, maybe I've been reading uh, The Wheel of Time too much because there's so many characters uh, that Robert Jordan writes that way. I was like, they don't have the experience necessarily yet to be that way, but they just are. And they like get into these fights with people that like you'd think would be better than them in The Wheel of Time. And uh, then they just beat them and you're supposed to be like, wow, aren't you amazing? And it's like, uh, okay. Like I like to see people who like earn it and go through tough things and all this kind of stuff. And Varg has the proactivity and the initiative to be like doing the same things that some of these Wheel of Time characters would do, like take on the half half troll, but he just gets his ass kicked. And I mean, he does well, you know, that was fun and or interesting, at least like he works his ass off and just anything he can do, but you can't beat the half troll. It's, and that's, that's okay. And it's, that was a big moment for me where I was like, oh, what Gwyn is writing here is, is a little bit different. It's like the, this is a guy who's going to have to earn his place here and not just have things come easy to him. And when characters go through that kind of struggle, that's when I build all that empathy for them that y'all are talking about that makes it, you know, like Sam, you said, like, sometimes it can be annoying. It's annoying when you can't like empathize with their plight because they, everything they do just falls in their laps. It's like, uh, it's Varg works his ass off to try to do things. And then, it sometimes it doesn't work and uh, it's like so much easier to see why he's had such a hard life when that's happening to him despite him trying his best and i love that they call him no sense why would you do that (laughs) like (laughs) Like, what's his name he's like just fog it's like no shield no sense fog no sense yeah fighting half troll and you're just like (laughs) They think you're a tool right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his first his first uh, taste of battle with the blood sworn, he forgets to unsheath his spear. His helmet's not on quite right. He's in front of the shield wall. He like jumps on this guy's horse. You know, it it continues to be part of his character where he's he's you know very brave and physically very capable, but he lacks the experience and the training, and he doesn't. Fit, he doesn't understand the culture yet of the Bloodsworn, and it's so funny to watch him like learn all of these things. And it's in such honest moments throughout these battles that that we get that, and that's part of the world building. I'm sure maybe John Gwynn went off to do one of his reenactments once and was like, "Man, it's kind of hard to like strap this helmet on once they start charging." You know, like maybe I should have a character f- fuss around with the harnesses once in a while because that's all you're doing in battle, complaining about how heavy your weapon is and fussing with the straps you know so it's 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 those things in varg that varg no sense that i really enjoyed about his character 
yeah fuck, fuck. it's 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 great though because mm. like you said the people around him while they're like i mean credit where it's due you know you pull yeah. that off you're an idiot <laughs> like why would you do that so it's not like the rest of the the, the characters around him are like encouraging it they're like no it's like you're literally you know gonna kill yourself if you keep pulling that stuff yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 such a fine balance because yeah it takes away that instantly competent great person but kind of gives you a little feel of it like oh no he did pull that off but pretty much got called out for it by all his friends <laughs> <laughs> yes i sam you're helping me realize something i, I like about varg here or like put words to it better which is that the world treats him in the way that we as readers like think it would make sense to treat because yeah. it's like you start seeing him as this guy it's like dude why are you doing that like you're just going for it like you're gonna get your butt kicked man like and other people are, but you do have this part like you're saying sam this like like but good on you like you tried to bite him like you tried to like you really went for it and there's something i respect about that and then everyone else treats him that way and you feel validated as a reader because you're like yeah that's what he's like and i think sometimes where i can get frustrated with characters is when the world doesn't treat them the way that they like that you're pers- you think the world would treat them and i think that's like again this balance of world building like the the environment the people around him they all and yeah just gwyn's work is like the everything around them makes sense with what they are doing as characters and vice versa yeah i like the name no sense too because it's kind of endearing yeah. in a lot of ways amongst their their group and the blood sworn but it's also like we should probably get you trained and and get you armor and like all these other things so that you will actually stick around with us for a little while longer so that really, you know, we mentioned Elvar a little bit at the beginning, but I feel like this is the last character that we really need to to dive into. And Elvar almost has the opposite philosophy of family to Orca, because for Elvar, she's all about the found family. And she's all about chasing the battle fame, as you had mentioned, Sam. And what I thought was super interesting about her character was how restrained John Gwynn was with the reveal that she is royalty. And I just thought that was, I thought that was brilliant. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think that was so well timed because you, I feel like you take a little bit longer to get to know Elvar. Like you've got Varg straight off the bat and you're like, okay, bit of a comic, you know, the people around you, you're going to give me a bit of the humor in my book. Orca's giving you like that, just fear, family, protection. Whereas Elvar was kind of like, where are you going? Who are you going to become? And then when you kind of get into it, and she's like, no, I want to do stuff for myself. You know, I don't want to live in the shadow of everything else. And you're kind of like, what shadow? What, what why? And then when it mm. actually gets to the reveal of it, you're like, totally get it now. Like, <laughs> it's, but it's, it's well paced because you kind of, John Gwynn is literally teasing you with all these questions and you're like, yeah, but why are you this way? What, what's yeah. motivated? It just goes and you're like, everything has fallen into place but it doesn't it doesn't stop stop there there's no plateau from that point you then understand her that much more and mm. are so much more invested in her character like John Gwynn is literally like the master emotional manipulator like <laughs> within, within pages of his characters you already love them like I think I was also grand like I think I saw his name like twice and I was like, I, I love Grend. Grend, Grend, my, my dude. I want Grend. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grend is awesome. All, yeah, all you 
him at the beginning is his like overshadowing of Elvar and you're like dude let up but then you're like mm, no good old you know grufty warrior protecting someone you're like I am here for that like <laughs> yeah I I totally agree Sam and I you know Elvar actually is the character that I would say most resonates for me as like as a person and I so I think Orca is like when I think about the the place in the fantasy genre, like Orca as this mom going Taken, like playing the Liam Neeson yes, role. Yes, I thought of Taken uh, as like, well. I, I did, yeah, I was like, oh, she's like, I have a very specific set of skills, Trigger. It's like you're going down. I was like, yeah, she does. You're going down. Like I was like, okay, that's all right. That's the person and the mom and the it's like that's a person when I think of like fantasy and the genre and who's going to be like the memorable person from this book. I feel like it's Orca, but for, and for me as a reader, this journey that Elvar is on of kind of like, Elvar's like lashing out against her family in a way where it's like, if you're trying to do something just to prove something to your dad who always controlled you, then you are still being controlled by him just in a different way. That's how I think of Elvar's like journey right now. It's like you are, if you're seeking battle fame because you want to show your dad, you're not this like pampered little princess who's going to go be married off to someone and not do anything. Then like family, your kin, all this kind of stuff, it's still running your life. You're just go doing the opposite, but it's like, that's you and I feel like she's on this path of trying to learn that it's like, do what you want. If you want battle fame, go for it and all that kind of stuff, but do it for you. And she's hearing these lessons kind of around her where people are like, hey, like the things that act like battle fame, like living forever, like, you know, you're going to like, you're going to die as a person, even if your battle fame stuff is going on forever. It doesn't matter. Like you have your moments, you have these people that you're, with and she starts to learn that and then she gets betrayed and it's like oh no it's like you are gonna completely unlearn this lesson that you're on your way to learning and that's the emotional manipulation that you're talking about (laughs) i think sam with john gwynn knows it's like we want elvar to learn this lesson and she's doing it she's making progress and then she gets punished for it and we're like "Uh oh like what's she gonna do from here so i'm like elvar love her as a character and i'm like yeah, I'm just so inv- personally invested. It just resonates. Uh, yeah. There's one of the things, Dylan, that you said about Varg that I, that I want to kind of bring over to Elvar. You had said, like, you know, it. you like when characters in the story react in the way that you as a reader would react when you see something happening. So in Varg's case, it's like, dude, you're going to get yourself killed. And then he does get pretty beat up and everyone makes fun of him for it. What I really loved in these early scenes with Elvar, where she's joking around with her comrades and she's like, oh, wouldn't it be so horrible if I was just up in a tower and having babies? And they're like, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig to me. I don't know. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, the, like, that's the trope. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you don't want just to be like, Oh, oh, a wife and then nothing else. You know, I was just a princess stuck in a tower, but everyone's like, we're like, you know, mm. living pretty hard lives here. I, I can see the upside to that kind of, to that kind of treatment. And she's like, people keep telling her that and she's still like, yeah, but 
you know, we're chasing glory, right? That's what we're all here for, you know? So, and some of them are like, uh, I guess, <laughs> not really. And so it's it's kind of funny to, to see how the world reacts to these tropes that we've gotten in fantasy so many times. I really appreciate it where it's like, that actually sounds like a pretty sweet gig, not gonna lie. Like, uh, you know, that's, uh, you, there's nothing wrong with that path. And I think that's very true. My reading experience is like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty, that sounds like a better life than any of these POV characters mm-hmm. we've, we've seen so far. So um, I just love that, that kind of duality to Elvar's character of like, we do get yeah. these moments where it is suggested that, hey, they're, you know, it's not so bad. It's not like evil to be married off to somebody, you know? So. Yeah. It's like, it's like when everyone says, would you survive in your current book? And I'm like, no. I was like, if I was at home, you know, married, breeding, I'd probably be alive right now. <laughs> yes. Not, not facing jumping in seas and, you know, tackling sea dragons and being eaten alive by worms. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not surviving in that world. But if I'm in a castle, you know, I've got a couple of people around me, a few sprogs walking around, I'm down for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> Sam. We we or I literally got tagged in one of those from uh, uh, Masquerades. Shout out Masquerades! And and while I was reading this, and I was like, I can be a little long winded, as people probably know by now. But I was like, what do I have to say here? I'm like the shadow of the gods. Like it's like and it's like the what are you reading? And would you survive? It's like the shadow of the gods. And let's be honest, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right in the sense of like, yeah. I mean, uh, that. It probably wouldn't happen to to me as a man in this world. I don't think that happens much in Gwyn's world of being married off to someone or whatever. But honestly, like I'd take that over being in the blood sword. It's like it's t- that sounds like a really tough life. But she, yeah, she is chasing glory for glory's sake and this idea of like immortality or whatever. And it's like. W- wait what are you like what are you even doing but we chase achievement you know I know I do like in our lives all the time for some weird sense that that's going to give us gratification when then the Elvar I just want to I and that's oh the emotional manipulation thing is like I want so badly for Elvar to learn the lessons of like be present with the people around you be in the moment like that's all you really have but then yeah what what John Gwynn can do is give us reason to think that like they wouldn't learn this lesson if, if they try to, and then something terrible happens and the person they're trying with betrays him. It's like, so it's um, amazing. I, I love Elvar and I, that's like the character arc I'm actually most interested in following personally, even though like, yeah, Orca as a character is just like, <laughs> I think the most like complex and intriguing and all this cast and unique, I guess, too. I think with the books, you always have you always have a bit of all of them. So you have the one who you're like, oh my, I love you straight away. And then you have yeah. the one who's like, oh yeah, I can see where you're going with. But like you said, with Elva, she's got such a level of growth and you do see that through the book and then she gets thrown every other curveball and you're like, yeah, still after that battle fame. Mm. And like I said, John Gwynn does what John Gwynn does and she's betrayed you know she suffers losses and by the end of it you're like well, yeah we're gonna test how you resolve right now do you know how yeah. much you want what what you're claiming to want and I think with those ones they're the ones that you put the most kind of subconscious investment in because you 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 see them grow and it's almost in the background to the other characters but then when it actually happens you're like 
oh my god like you've been through so much like my level of respect has just you know gone up like tenfold because of everything <laughs> you've been through <laughs> so yeah sam you're again you're helping me again like put bare words this orca's orca's character is probably right now more complex but her motivations are simple and understandable go save your son yes go we're all in uh i feel like elvar's motivations are like complicated and she's really trying to work through that and that's that's what i'm i'm uh, like gravitating toward and subconsciously like you said because i wasn't able to really figure that out until you just (laughs) brought it into my (laughs) awesome Yeah, I mean, so much to get into with all these characters, but as we're approaching what could be maybe towards the end, the back half of this episode here, Sam, I was wondering if there were any particular moments that we haven't discussed yet in this book that that have stuck with you that you maybe want to bring up and kind of react to or certain elements of this book that you want to bring up that we haven't talked about already. Oh God, there's there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, to be fair, at the top of the list is the last page with lots of exclamation marks. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, obviously we're in spoiler territory. So you've got Thorkel's death. Oh, Mm. like you don't, this is, this is another thing that just shows how great John Gwynn's writing is. Like, you don't know Thorpe for that long. Like when you think about it in terms of, you know, the progression and the rest of the book and the other characters you meet, you don't seem that long, but the little encounters he has, like like you said, the ones where they're involving Brecker and how they're both raising him, but also when she's so like trying to control her bloodlust, we'll say when she's talking to the arse that is good good for, I wanna say his name is. And Thorkel's just there going are you okay but then he's getting angry just because of how angry and you know stressed she is so then those little encounters that you kind of see and you're like oh that's cute when it comes to the actual pinnacle of it happening you're like oh my god like my heart is literally broken it was like I think I uh, I was <laughs> while I was doing this so when I was, I was like damn it I just don't talk and he was just like, I know, Sam, I know. Because, <laughs> oh, he's such a hard character. And obviously you find out by the end of the book who he was before. And you're just like, you were so hard, but such a softy inside and your your mm. aim was family. And the last thing you said was, I'm sorry. Uh. And you just, God damn it, Gwen, stop punching me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but then all these it's all the other little bits. So it's like when you read a book, there's always little moments that like, you know, like the prideful moment or when someone puts something away. So when someone stands really strong and you're like, yes, I'm all for your empowering moment. But it's like the little bits, like when Torvik says to Varg, it's like, you know, I'm a good hunter. So when you've done the call, I'll come and hunt the people who killed your sister. And I'm just like, you're just, you're just bonding all the time. And the relationships are building like even with um, Orca and, is it Liff and Maud, the two brothers um, whose dad died in the duel, their whole mm. relationship, like she literally doesn't want them there. And no. yet they ride through a town on bloody horses and save her. <laughs> and you just like, there's so many bits that aren't like hugely epic, but for each individual storyline are just like moments where you, you're a fist bump in the air. You're so happy that that's that's gone through, and you know 
that that's the way it's steered and you like but it's never always in line with your expectations like you're kind of just going oh okay right oh my god no that, that totally went a completely different way and I think it's hard for authors actually to do that now because there are so many fantasy books and yet John Green always manages mm-hmm. to take it in another direction but also mm-hmm. stick into what we all know and love and yeah really just redefining the genre I think like yes. I said he's easily going to be a great like I can't imagine a thing where a world where John Green isn't up there with the most known authors even better than some of them like easily so Sam you I think you nailed it with that and that's how I see I this too is like that you mentioned the moment where Thorgal says sorry as his last words. And to me, it's just this moment where that represents the like the place of the shadow of the gods in fantasy as kind of where I want to go. Uh, there's the, also the last, like the dragon stuff at the end does that too, but we'll get into that. The uh, This sorry moment is like, it. it's not the perfect last words that if you were Thorgal, you'd want to say right like uh, it's and it's not so I think like Robert Jordan would have them like even while they're dying and you know we like the wheel of time and all that kind of stuff but it has a different place an earlier place in the context of fantasy where last words were meant to be epic and meant to be this like let me tell you everything and you'd kind of be sitting there I mean, lord of the like, rings too i tried like, to take the sure. ring from frodo it's like you are a <laughs> right. beloved brother i right. love you it's like oh we love each other it's <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's not life your last words are not necessarily going to be something meaningful let alone like the perfect thing to have said and then I think the pendulum started to swing the other way and we get like and I think I'm going to mention Joe Robert Crumb who's maybe my favorite author uh, and he his work started to go in like the mid-2000s toward this like grim dark uh, stuff and he doesn't like that term anymore he's moving toward this more balanced thing i think now uh, but he would have the last words be something like intentionally pointless for a lot of characters to make the point that we were just talking about of this like hey we're not like we don't get last words that are epic necessarily they might just be something stupid and then I think the swing that I see John Gwynn taking here for the fantasy genre and what has me so excited is that I'm sorry says so much about Thorkel's character. It's exactly what he would think to say. And it's not perfect, but it's him. And that's what I think your last words are most likely to be like is not perfect, but you. And that. I don't know, Gwen just finds that amazing balance and it's like so emotional. And I knew Thorkel was going to die because I knew you had to unleash Orca and he was the only thing keeping her <laughs> restrained. But it still hit me so hard. It's like, yeah, so just so many props to John Gwynn and I love I love what he's doing so much and I love where he's going. And more things that make me feel that way, but that's where I'm at, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's yeah, he feel like he's a step. I don't want to say a step ahead, everyone, because there are other um, absolutely incredible authors out there. But like, <laughs> I have a, a, say a list, if you will. And it's literally, <laughs> pardon me for saying, the guy could shit on paper and I'd read it. <laughs> like, I <would laughs> <fuck> yeah, <laughs> that guy is fantastic, and 
and Anthony Ryan are pretty much on it with a few others and just it's it's such it's just everything you want and need in a fantasy like it's so well balanced you've got like your hugely epic scenes where like where orcas, you know, just save the birds and then she's steaming into a fortress and it's just like, yeah, kill them all but one. And these <laughs> little mental where she's, when she first meets Drekker, Drekker, um, he's like, oh, so, you know, you're the one, you're his man, you're his woman. And she's like, yeah, where's my son? And they all carry with them the epicness that we love in the battles and the blood and <laughs> war. And yet everything else is then, it, it has the humour afterwards when the two brothers are like, what on earth was your plan? Like, kill them all, but one. And they're like, yeah, great plan. (laughs) No, that's well said. I feel like for me and my reading experience, like in the past 10 years or so, a lot of the fantasy that, you know, has been really popular is fantasy that's been kind of bleak, rather grim. A lot of the themes are like, oh, remember all this traditional fantasy stuff? It wouldn't float in the real world. There's too much violence and, and savagery and humanity to allow that kind of stuff to really exist. And then after reading that, you know, thinking it's awesome, but now you've read it a whole bunch of times, you're like, it's kind of bumming me out a little bit. And Dylan and I, we always joke about all the reasons we like fantasy. Oh, it's the human condition. It's these cool worlds. And dragons are cool too. So when you read this story, when you read The Shadow of the Gods and you get all these great character moments, you get all these gut-wrenching, like, face reality moments, you also get, oh yeah, dragons are cool too. And I think that's the direction that I really appreciate John Gwynnon and I hope a lot of modern fantasy kind of adopts. It's like, hey, there's a lot about Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time that's actually really fun and epic. And we can have those portrayed like we can draw from Grimdark as well for these honest moments as well. And and we can almost have this like, like they say in music, neoclassic revival of fantasy where it's like, let, let's bring in like the classic influence and with all this world building and and this epic nature of characters and and like having these big gods and then let's also bring some humanity into it without being just full on cynical like let's have some fun with it and that to me is where i'm like i'm glad that this book is like hot off the press as of a few weeks ago and and is being embraced so well and it's just a direction that i really like to see uh, authors going in so big props (laughs) yes like i always say in my reviews i'm like the gushing level in this review is gonna be pie you know <laughs> i i can't read i don't read a john Gwynn book and think oh my god you know this is i actively hate cliffhangers but i literally trust john Gwynn implicitly as a reader like <laughs> he is not 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 delivered so because you know what he's what he's gotten the excitement that you're going to get in the next couple of books you're like do you know what I might not have loved a cliffhanger, but I am here for it because it's John Gwynn and he's earned the trust from the readers. Like, obviously, you guys, as this being your first book, is such a taste into it. Because like we said before that we actually aired out, like, he's written seven books before this, so he's only going to get better. Like, yeah. and I don't think this is his peak by any means. Like, he's... And the, the level of work that he's doing already is just... <sighs> It doesn't even have words, like none that actually, you know, describe what he is author-wise to the fantasy genre. But also, like, the historical side of things, like you said, he's influencing world-building and research, like, 
it it just does everything and he's got the skill to write the cliffhangers and give you what you need trope wise you know kind of fantasy genre click wise and have you literally reeling after every book you've read of him like malice is malice and fearful the fallen is the same he you're reading it and you're just like i need to know what's next like in preparation for this this like podcast i thought oh, i'll go through my notes again you know i'll see what kind of thing i'm gonna read this book again now like yeah <laughs> probably this week <laughs> that's <laughs> it, awesome it never gets old like it, not everyone rereads books whereas these books are literally rereadable ev- all the time as is malik and, and his other books Man, I don't think you can give a book any more praise than that. It's like, oh, you know what? Talking about it's got me so excited. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> yeah. like, do you need much more convincing than that? I don't think so. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, Sam, are there any parting words? I feel like we're wrapping up on time here. Just wanted to um, toss it back to you again just to see if there's any last things you wanted to mention before we call it a day here on the friends talking fantasy podcast oh i think we've covered so much of it already like (laughs) there's a lot of waffling in there but there is definite points of praise like you said (laughs) he balances everything so well he teases you with enough information if you haven't read this book then Mm. Just go read it. Like, yeah. you don't even have to commit to those other series as yet. This is a perfect example because you can just read the first book and then get sucked in. And then, you know, you've got a backlog of seven books to read <laughs> that you're probably going to be just as great. I which, know. Malice has been on our, like, to read list for so long. It's been recommended countless times. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> wait, wait, Will, I'm going to reread it again at some point. So we will have to plan it we'll have to plan it yes yes let's schedule it (laughs) that's he said the magic charles words (laughs) we'll read it when you read it sim so we can reconvene here at the john gwynn committee on the friends talking fantasy podcast yes i'm pretty sure on the reread as well so even better get the trio yes yes absolutely that That would would be be awesome Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on to talk about John Gwynn with us. This has been, like I said at the beginning, so many exciting energies coming together, perhaps the greatest of which being what Dylan and I have been joking about for a while since you agreed to come on was the voice reveal for Sam. So this has been, because <laughs> we've talked to you for like a year now almost through Twitter. It's like we've never actually seen her face or heard her speak or anything, yet we know her so well. So like just the catching up before we hit the record button was such a pleasure yeah. and getting your yeah. insight into John Gwynn was super appreciated as well no you you have to do it like a few people have said the same it's like gotta hear what your voice is because obviously <laughs> people who I talk to British wise all know that I'm like Yorkshire Lancashire way so to them I have a pretty alien accent for people down south the Midlands so yeah top on across a pond and you've literally got this this Yorkshire last putting out words like cracking <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that you have this has been a cracking time uh, sam i i'm trying to i'm trying to think of what there's another one that i got really uh thrown off by you called some i think you called a, 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 a wee bopper or something like that and i was like wow 
Or, oh, there's something with socks, too. Yeah, like, bless you on socks. <laughs> yeah, you, like, said that to me. It's like, it's like bless your socks? It's like, my socks. I'm blessing my socks. What's up with my socks? <laughs> you don't realise how different, like, the mannerisms, the talking is until you speak to people, like I said, from completely different cultures of sorts. And you're just like, yeah, you you have your own language easily. <laughs> Yeah. okay but here's the thing and we talked about this before on twitter sam it's like i don't you never have moments where i say something and you're like whoa what does that mean you're just like there's no cool american slang that we're throwing your way that surprises you right because we we have a lot of american tv like most of your dramas tv series are all american or american produced whereas i imagine actual british drama going over to america probably isn't as widespread as what American stuff is. Like you get a few, you know, like your Downton Abbey's and stuff, but I feel like we probably have more exposure than you do to, mm. to, to the British language. And like <laughs> all of them are different, honestly. If get a Geordie on or a, or a Macam, you, you, <laughs> you won't know what they're saying. And there's a lot of words that you'll just be like, eh, yeah, no, <laughs> don't know what you're saying. Eh. Are we speaking the same language here? <laughs> It gets it gets crazy. My <laughs> on like Yorkshire Lancastrians is tin tin tin, which is pretty what? much it isn't in the tin. Tin tin tin. What? <laughs> in the tin. I'm. You see now, in, in, there's no time for me to collect myself and have an <laughs> appropriate Twitter response to my befuddlement. So you're just yeah. seeing me like uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> We, tin, we miss tin, out tin. the word the as well. Like, instead of saying stuff like, go, we're going to put the kettle on, it's put kettle on. And people uh, are just like, you, you've completely missed words in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's like a Pennsylvania thing. Uh, that I, lived in, <laughs> I went to college in Pennsylvania and they'll, like, they'll say, like, so college will be like, I'm done homework. I'm like, with it? Are you done with it? <laughs> like, but they don't do it where Charles and I are from in New York. They don't do that. But they, yeah, they'll say, I'm done. Uh, I'm done dinner. It's like, what? <laughs> where are the words? You're literally missing stuff there. Yeah. But yeah I definitely feel no. more exposure. So it's less shocking to us. But when it comes to you guys, it's like, what? Eh? <laughs> what does that even cover <laughs> no this was no it's so awesome and lived up to the to our hype which is which is very exciting and who knows maybe we'll um get a john gwen adaptation some days and we and we can get Ooh. deep into the english accents uh, uh, on that level as well <laughs> crombie too yes abercrombie i could i could definitely yes, see like juxtaposing like some real proper english accent against some of the craziness that comes out of those characters mouths you know i think that'd be so funny yes <laughs> we've got the podcast now just britishisms <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah britishisms so, and fantasy you're, you're our um you're our uk mm. expert <laughs> Yes, our UK consultant, our uh, UK culture, uh, culture consultant. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so. We had this word "arse" in here. Like, what are we doing with it? <laughs> yeah, the word "arse." See, 
that that's just what the word is to me. Like when people say ass, I'm just like, why have you shortened it down? It's a, it's a good sturdy word itself. <laughs> <laughs> it is better. I think I do think arse, it, cause it's like, it's a little stronger. And if you're trying to make a point, like if you're calling someone an ass, it's like, it doesn't hit as hard as back. It's you're an arse. <laughs> Literally, an ass it's is true. an ass is yeah, you you are such an ass, whereas it's almost comical <laughs> when an ass. Like you're not you're not getting the gravity of what I'm calling you here, guys. Like, <laughs> so, I don't think you understand the level to which I'm trying to insult you right now. <laughs> <laughs> like water off the ducks, but. <laughs> oh my gosh guys thank you all so much for listening uh, this has been awesome um as you can see we're just t- trying to take as much advantage of sam's time as we can because this is such a fun opportunity to be able to speak to her in person instead of through the twitter sphere but if you do want to get involved in all the twitter shenanigans and if you've listened this far then you Great probably sake. do because like it gets just as off the rails over there as well just be sure to follow sam book in hand over there as well as us over at the ftf podcast and then be sure to check out sam's blog as well i don't understand how she reads as much as she does but she covers she's publishing stuff on that blog constantly i'm lucky to read a book you know every couple weeks or so but she's putting out content very quickly over there and you can read her shadow of the gods post that mm. came out quite a while ago so go and check that out as well yeah it'll be picking back up as well now i had a wee <laughs> break because just work madness but mm. it's gonna get back into it now I've, I've done a few reviews so yeah it'll be picking back up sunday sevens will be back Ooh, and yes all the good stuff <laughs> that's awesome to, to that. hear don't want to miss it Sam, thank you so much for your time and all your UK witticisms. We greatly appreciate it. <laughs> so you <grateful>. are. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>